when you're actually in that place. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad here. It was a hoot last night. I reckon we should do it again. Should we do it again, Ian? We should, I reckon we should do it in even, even bigger and better than, than last night. It was so good to uh, enjoy some good old-fashioned dancing and getting really hot in the room and, and there was a lot of perspiration, but it was fun. It was fun at the same time. Has anyone had any porridge pot incidents this week? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you could ask someone afterwards because we were talking last week about how do you actually relate to one another in a good, meaningful way. And I have actually had people send me pictures this week of porridge pots soaking in, in kitchen sinks and them saying, I'm going to wash the porridge pot. So well done you. But I've also noticed this week is that I haven't seen as many soaking porridge pots in my kitchen sink as I was. So thank you very much, Bron. You have been doing an excellent job, and I have actually noticed that as well. Ali, how did you get on with your front garden? Uh, well, should I say oh, sure. What, what happened? So you've compromised together. So it's a planted lawn, I think. Um, you can find out more about those things afterwards. Welcome if you're listening to us online, and it's good to be together today. Well done, Ali, as well. Um, two weeks ago, I was sitting in my room at my desk on a Saturday afternoon, and I, there was a knock at the door. And I went to the door, and I opened it, and there was a lady standing in front of me, and she was holding like a watering can, like a, like a container, and she said to me, do you mind if I could borrow some water from your tap because my car's overheated and I just need to put some fresh, cool water into it? I said, sure. Closed the door, took the can from her, decided it was an opportunity to just help someone. So I did. I, I went to the tap, filled it up, walked across the road. She was a, a lady who was very familiar with an overheating car engine because she knew exactly what to do. Bonnet was up and everything was working. So as the car was cooling down, I thought I would just have a bit of a conversation right out the front of my house. And uh, as we got to talking about the state of the car, she made the comment. She said, you know what? This car was supposed to last me as the next stage of my life because my husband's left me. And uh, two children have Huntington's disease. One of them has already died. And the second one will die at Christmas time. So this car was going to be the car that was going to get me through the next stage of my life. And it's just broken down so much now that it needs a new engine. I've gone to a mechanic and, and this is what, sort of what's happening. And so you can imagine out the front of my house then, I'm just kind of going, what, what, what can we do? So it was a Nissan X-Trail. I'm not condemning Nissan in any way, but I knew that Steve, Steve used to work for Nissan, so I thought, oh, maybe we could have some connect, maybe he's engineering, and, and then I thought of the financial partnership fund here at New Community, so $15,000 or something to give away for people in need, genuine need, and I thought of those two things, and so I, I said to her, would you mind if I take a photo of your car, and um, I might know someone who might be able to help, made no commitment whatsoever, okay, and so... She said, sure, so let's call her Jan. Jan said, um, you know, here's my phone number, took it, and then we said goodbye. Next day, um, I'm having lunch, uh, and uh, I said to Bron, oh, by the way, there was a lady who turned up at our uh, front door yesterday. Uh, her car was overheating. Tragic. She has two children with Huntington's. One's died, and another one is going to, she says, die by Christmas time. She said, what's her name? 
And, and I said, you tell me first. <laughs> and she mentioned a name. And I said, no, that's not it. It's Jan. And she said, that's it. It's Jan. She said, I know Jan through the Heal Clinic. She's someone who we've had connection with through, through the Heal Clinic. I said, wow, what are the chances of that? All right. Monday morning, I turn up. So this was on the Sunday. Then Monday, I come to the office here. And there is a request for the financial partnership fund that someone else not sort of loosely connected with our community has written for a lady with a Nissan X-Trail who needs an engine dropped in so she could actually, because, and this is all the thing, and it's the, it's the same woman. Wow. So do you think God might be speaking? Because <laughs> I checked out, she had no idea of my address. What's the chances of someone's car overheating just near, pulling off Canopy Road, sticking out in front of our house, knocks on my door, and it just so happens that we know and there's already a financial partnership fund written the week before. So should we do something about this? Yeah, I think we should. And so we have uh, already engaged Johnny, who works with Handbrake Turn, and to see if they and their organisation can help drop a new engine in. More information to come. I would love it if we could, as a community, encourage Jan... God's at work. You might be here this morning and you go, you know what, I'm just checking out God. I don't know if he's real in my life. And you might have just called that a coincidence. Well, out of 120,000 people in our municipality, how is it that one person that has two other connections knocks on my door on a Saturday afternoon? I call that more than just, we'd call that a God coincidence, right? God's at work. So when I ask the question this morning, how does someone who have a, has a faith in Jesus, how do they stand firm or even shine in a world that's complicated and conflicted? How is it that a Jesus follower might be able to stand firm in a world that may be indifferent to your faith, maybe even hostile, sometimes for right reason? How do you do that? How do you stand firm, perhaps, when there's hardships and difficulties in your own lives. You see, Paul's been writing a letter to a group of Jesus followers in this ancient city of Ephesus. And near the end of his letter, after he's been talking about how God is bringing all things together under Jesus, his son, he's wanting to turn his attention to a final thing he wants to remind them of. Because he realizes in this world, there is no such thing as a blank canvas. There's always someone or something wanting to knock you off your shoes, wanting to distract you from following and living out your faith in a way that's real and relevant and powerful in the world around. And so he wants to turn in his final remarks and say to those Jesus followers, be strong, put on, be strong, put on, and pray. Because when you pray, you bring God's power into your present circumstances. So I want to talk about that in the time we have remaining this morning. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? All right, let's go. Firstly, he says, be strong in God's strength. Be strong in God's strength because there'll be circumstances in your life that are really hard and difficult, that are still part of the creation in which we live and and Jesus is putting it to right, even though we mightn't fully understand it or see it in a sort of a clear trajectory. But God actually wants to and is bringing about 
a day in which all evil and hardship and tyranny, everything that opposes him and his kingdom, one day he's going to expel it from this world. But until that day, there will be challenges and hardship that will come your way. Be strong and stand firm, he'll say. He'll say be strong because there are often circumstances and situations in your life that would easily distract you from the plans and the purposes that God has for you to be an agent for him and a person in place that would actually live for him and shine wherever you are. In fact, there's more than enough distractions that might want to, if you like, knock you off your feet, distract you from living out fully, perhaps building your kingdom rather than God's here on earth in the time that you have. And finally, he wants to say, be strong and stand firm because there are other powers, unseen ones, that want to distract you, subvert you, if you like, undermine you in every way that you mightn't fully understand now, but it's part of. And so he says, what I want you to understand more than anything else is to be strong because, if you like, this image here that in Jesus, God is bringing together heaven and earth And there is no other power, no other person, no other authority greater and more powerful than him. And one day he will expel all evil and injustice and in tyranny. And everything that stands against God bringing his kingdom here to earth, he will expel it. And he will shine and his life will emanate through this earth. He says, just like the waters cover the sea. So be strong. And then he goes on. And he says these curious words. He's thinking about a soldier. And he's thinking about the clothing that they might wear. And he says, put on God's complete armor. Then you'll be able to stand firm against the devil's trickery. The struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against other principalities and powers in the unseen world. And as soon as I say those things, we need to hit the pause button. Because there is a gap between those words that you have just heard and the world in which we inhabit today. You see, the world in which they inhabited 2,000 years ago was a world that was animated. It was a world where the proximity between the seen and the unseen was far closer, in which you understood that you lived in a landscape in which there was an unseen world with malevolent powers that wanted to actually hurt or harm. And so they understood, the ancients, that there was a relationship between perhaps sin, that is pride and ego and selfishness and and anger, and, and perhaps a spirit world, and even the physical world and how that might actually be the causation of things like sickness. And so they understood that there was this relationship between the three. One that we no longer, if you like, in the world in which we inhabit today, think of. But there was a time in which disciples came across a man who was blind. And they asked Jesus, who did wrong, the mum or the dad or the person themselves, that they should be born blind? So that's part of this dynamic. There was another time in which Jesus came across a woman who'd been bent over. And he healed her on a Sabbath day where some people opposed that and said, I don't want you to do that uh, because that's working on the Sabbath. And Jesus came back and he said, well, why wouldn't I actually want to heal someone? In, if Satan's actually been the cause of her being bent over so many years, why wouldn't I want to liberate her on a day like today? 
There was another time in which there was a, a paralyzed man lowered down through a roof. And when he was lowered down through the roof, there was this dynamic going on where Jesus, looking at the person, said, tell you what, why is it uh, that you are sick? He said, I, I forgive you. And of course, all of his friends would have said, Jesus, we didn't come for forgiveness today. We came that you might actually heal this man. And there were other people who looked at Jesus and said, who is this man that he should actually say that he could be forgiven? No one can forgive sins but God. Well, Jesus, understanding this world in which he inhabited, said, well, just so you know I can forgive sins, I say to you, take up your mat and walk. And so therein lies this relational connection between these three. And they inhabited that landscape that was their worldview. In fact, this actually relationship goes back to a previous story, a more ancient one, that somewhere in the first man and woman that were actually created, do you like this? This is not my drawing, okay? <laughs> is, is that there was this other subhuman creature that the ancients understood as actually something being to do with with something wanting to subvert God's good creation. This subhuman creature would tell lies about God, would twist truths and try and knock humans off course. And so part of that big story was that one day God was going to rid this world of all evil and all tyranny and all of those other powers because that was part of his plan to put things right. Let's pause there for a moment again. What does that mean for us? Living 2,000 years later in the age of science and technology, all these wonderful advances. Well, it means in one part, some of us might be reflexively saying, well, that was all just superstition. And you'd be indifferent to any other thing beyond the material world. In fact, you feel it yourself. The downward pressure in our material world that all there is is here and now, and that's it. Well, if you were to embrace that side, my experience tells me that that doesn't just say everything about everything. Science is a great methodology, but it's limited. In fact, my experience tells me that we are more than molecules and more than just material beings. On the other hand, it might cause people, when they hear these things, to rush to the other end of the pole, and that is to be preoccupied. They can't walk out their front door because there's this sense in which, like the ancient world, it's, it's inhabited and I need to always be on the check. And Paul's consciously writing into this thinking and wanting to say to them, I want you to be alert, not to be afraid, and I want you to be confident. I want you to be able to stand strong. And so he goes on and he says these things, I want you to put on. And in that imagery of the person that he's thinking of, that soldier, he starts to name different items and pieces of clothing that he wants them to engage with. And so he starts off this way. And he says, I want you to put on truth just like a belt. You know the truth about Jesus? That Jesus came and he lived and he walked this earth and he did miraculous things. And he came to new life and he died on a cross to defeat all of the powers, the, the seen ones and the unseen ones. And he's, it's true for you. 
And he said, as he moves on, he says, I want you to put on like a chest plate. Because the truth of the matter is, is that when someone places their trust in Jesus and says, would you come into my life? The truth of the matter is, he says that he puts you to rights with God. If you like, he justifies you. He actually brings you into right relationship with God, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you. God loves you. And in his son, Jesus, if you open up your life to him and welcome him in, he forgives you. He washes you clean. And the new world that came into being when Jesus rose from the dead comes alive in you. You are in right with God. And, and in, he pitches shoes, you know, Nike or Reebok or maybe just some other shoes that a soldier would wear. And he thinks about this idea of peace. The idea that when you come to know God, that you can put your head down on a pillow over nighttime and you can do it peacefully, knowing that you've squared your life with God, that no matter what happens in your world, come what may, that you are with God and there is a bigger picture and a story being told. You can sleep with a different kind of sleep because you know deep down that you're at peace with him. I remember many years ago when our second child was born, Bronte. She came in a rush and she was in a rush. <laughs> and I remember in that moment in that hospital where, where things were happening, proceeding really quickly and there was a lot of anxiety and worry just in that delivery room. I remember looking across, and it was at the Mercy Hospital, and I saw a cross above the doorway. And in that moment, I know it doesn't quite make sense and all those things, but in that moment, seeing that reminded me, wait a second, there's a bigger picture here. And God is in control even when I feel like I'm out of control. And I felt this incredible peace just rush over me in that delivery suite. Might have been the same for Brian, but it was for me. <laughs> that peace that passes all understanding. And then he thinks about a shield and faith. That is that settled conviction that Jesus rose to new life. And that he's seated at the, the right hand of God and that he is bringing all powers and principalities under his rule. That doesn't mean that I don't doubt at times or I don't wrestle with things. God, why are things this way now? I mean, I wrestle. But it's that settled conviction that God is at work through his son, Jesus. And when the chips are down, come what may, I have a settled conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. And then he uses this imagery of a helmet and, and being rescued. I mean, as I look around the world right now and what's going on, there's part of me that understands that coming close to Jesus rescues me from the current state of affairs of this world. And that one day he's bringing a new age, the future age, to here on earth and that I'm part of that. There's this strong sense of then being Rescued or saved for that age to come, but, but rescued to do something now. And I find in my own life that when I find my place with God, I find my place in this world more clearly. 
And then this idea of the, the word, which he says like a kind of sword, of the spirit. That is that when someone comes to know Jesus, he puts his own life in them, his spirit. And that spirit prompts things and brings to mind the message about his son Jesus. So that when there are days of adversity or challenge, you may remember those things and recall them so that you will be able to stand firm by putting on. I've been asking some people this week how that looks and Peter and Megan are going to come on up right now. And can I just pause for a minute here because I've been asking and that's on Pete. You don't need to do anything, mate. Come on up. Come on up, Megan. And uh, what... I've asked them, what does it look like practically in your life? So, Peter, you were telling me about the idea of how you might do a body check. Could explain to us. Yes. So I'm all one for um, taking these um, scriptural things and going, what does that actually look like? And, yep. and you know, what do you do with that? So as a uh, reflective practice to try and meditate on these things, um, uh, one of the ways that I, that I do this is to... Uh, just bring these things to mind in an order. Um, so some people call it a mindfulness thing. I'll just call it um, putting on God before you get out of bed. So, um, yeah, just, just to run through these things, um, start with your head and just, you know, think about the um, putting on God in your mind and that and just run through, you know, hands, belt, chest, get to your feet and just bring to mind you know, all these things that Troy's just mentioned. You're not going to remember them all, but just to um, uh, think through an aspect of these things um, as you get up. And so um, the last one, the, the shoes idea, that's like the, um, the action station. Yeah, you're getting up. You, um, this is the, yeah. the, the point of getting up this day is, is to ask, ask God to involve you in the action stuff. Mm. So, and the point of this one is um, to bring God's, God's, God's peace, which is the, the good news that he is near. That's, that's the point. So spend that time in the morning to um, yeah, do this stuff and, and clothe yourself with God in a practical kind of sense. It's good, mate. That's good. It's great. Megan, can I just take that from you, Pete? Great. <laughs> good on you, mate. Megan, how does this work for you? Because we were chatting earlier in the week about a new job that you got. And you feeling like you experience God speak to you through the Bible. Would you explain that to us? Yeah. So I guess I probably do a similar thing to what Peter was just talking about um, in less formal way. Um, and as I was preparing for this new role that I've started, I was reading my Bible and I came across a verse in John chapter 15 where it says, I have chosen you and appointed you that you would bear fruit that will last. And in that moment, I felt like that was Jesus speaking directly to me in my new role that I'm starting and that, yes, he's appointed me to do all the practical things of my job, but also to go in there with him and bear fruit that will last in the lives of my colleagues. Mm. Now, you've had an opportunity this week to actually apply that in a greater way uh, in a relational um, contact with another colleague, is that yes. right? Yes. So I um, was working with one of my colleagues who's in a similar role to me and she's a much louder personality than me and um, we had a moment where um, it was a bit of conflict and my re initial reaction in that moment was to go, oh, after dealing with the situation, was to go, oh, I'm going to have to work with this girl now a lot and it's going to be really hard and I'm not going to enjoy it and um, to be a bit negative about it. But in that moment, I felt Holy Spirit saying to me, it's okay, 
I'm with you and I've placed you here to bear fruit that will last and to love this girl as he loves her. Um, and so I feel now going forward from that that I have such a different perspective. I can um, go into that relationship with her, with God's heart for her to bear fruit that will last in her life and to have a good relationship with her. Fantastic. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. That's good. That's good. Be strong. Put on and pray. Because prayer brings God's power into my present circumstances. I wonder what it would look like if Jesus' followers took this idea really practically and seriously. And in the morning time when they woke up, there was this sense of which I might do a body check or an idea of understanding what Megan was talking about and saying, God, how would you use me today in my workspace exactly where I am? Because he goes on and he says these words. When someone comes into relationship with Jesus, there's a phrase that he's been using throughout this entire letter. And it's called in Christ or in Jesus. Christ isn't a surname. It's actually a title. It means anointed one or a king. When someone comes to know Jesus, they become in him, inextricably connected to him, so that what is true of Jesus becomes true for them. So that if Jesus has risen to new life, one day you will rise to new life with a body just like his. If Jesus defeated all the powers and can forgive, they are defeated over you, so that you will wash clean. If Jesus is going to return and establish a new heavens and a new earth, then you'll be part of that too. Why? Because you are in Christ. I wonder if you might know that this morning, if you are in Him. Because He finishes and He says these words, Pray on every occasion in the Spirit. That means that all the promptings and nudgings that the Spirit of God might actually be, if you like, nudging within you, pray for those things. Pray for them consistently, openly, willingly. That's because we, I think we've got it. We've got it good. Pray for those things consistently, willingly and openly. Because God's at work and He wants to be at work through you. As I've been personally thinking about how these apply to my own life, I come up with two main things. To be aware and alert to how God might be working in and around me. So that conversation I had with Jan two weeks ago, when I heard the knock on the door and opened and saw a lady standing in front of me, one of the first things I said in my head was, God, how are you at work? And how might you be wanting me to join you today? Secondly, the way I see this at work is often spelt out in the course of our relationships. Sometimes there are circumstances that happen in our lives where there is a, a seed of unforgiveness or an anger 
or a hard-heartedness that seems to grow a power of its own. The way in which the Bible talks about dealing with those so there's no footholds, as Cindy spoke about two weeks ago, is that you might bring them to God and ask Him to wash clean, to forgive, to confess them, so that there might be no, if you like, crevice or crack or foothold that might grow into a bitterness and anger. So I wonder how God might be speaking to you today and how might you pray. If you're here this morning and there is a foothold, then I'm going to pray for you in a moment that God actually might clear that, forgive that. It might be a decision that you make today to put something right and go to someone and ask for forgiveness. Maybe you're here this morning and it's been a long time since maybe you've actually spoken to God or that you've never heard about Him before but you want to draw near. I'm going to pray for you. And then if you're here this morning and you say, I would actually like to get in the habit of doing exactly what Peter and Megan said, I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to sing. So if you'd like to join with me. God, here in this place this morning, I pray, I pray that your power might be at work right now in our lives. And I ask, God, that if there be a foothold, if there be an unforgiveness, an anger, a hardness, I ask that you might bring healing. And if this applies to you now, that as you open up your heart to God, you might ask him, God, would you help me to forgive? Would you help break that, that I might move forward in freedom? Father, I pray for those here this morning that might be wanting to draw near to you and don't know how. The simple words to say, come, Jesus, into my life. Come, Jesus, into my life. And for those who want to hear afresh what it means to put on these things and to know their place in this world, would you, Father, I ask just plant a seed in our hearts and minds that as we wake in the morning time, put on our shoes, that we might be able to know the, with confidence these things today and that it might change the environment around us and how we move in it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.